0: Well, good afternoon or good evening. Um, if you'd like to keep that um, passage open with you, uh, we're going to be looking at um, actually the whole of verses 1 to 7 today. Um, but I'm going to start with a, a tale from nearly 200 years ago. Um, my great-great-great-great-grandfather was born in Oxfordshire uh, in around about 1801. Um, and he unfortunately had the distinction in our family... Of being a criminal. Um, He was was in a very poor situation um, and he was arrested in the early 1830s for having uh, been accused of stealing peas and beans from a relative. He got taken to Oxford at Assizes where he was tried and because it wasn't his first offense he'd been caught stealing before he was sentenced to deportation to Tasmania. And what used to happen in those days they would take them down to Portsmouth to a prison ship, uh, like a big barge. They'd stay on there for about five or six months before they were ready to take them to Australia. And that was a six month voyage. Now very sadly, my great grandfather contracted smallpox whilst he was on the prison ship. And then he was taken onto the boat to Australia while he was still suffering from smallpox. His health deteriorated as he went on, but he was treated. And, and when he arrived in Tasmania, he was clear of smallpox, but he was very weak. He wasn't actually able to work. And sadly, he only lasted about six months before he died, age 33. It's a very sad tale. And you think, well, why do I tell this story today? What relevance can this have? Well, I was very interested by this story, and I was very keen to find out what it was like to be a passenger on one of these ships being deported to Australia or Tasmania in the 1830s. And I found a tale of some women from London who were petty criminals on the streets of London. And they ended up on a ship very much like that one as well. But for them, going to Australia broke them out of a cycle that they had been in of constantly going out on the streets stealing, being arrested, and then being released from prison and going back out on the streets again just to go and have a bed and safety on the streets and for them being taken off to Australia actually led to a life of freedom for them where they worked and then they were free and actually many of them now are the ancestors of those in Australia today went on to have thriving families now the theme of today's passage is a simple one, it is one of freedom not freedom in a George Michael Wham kind of song, not freedom in a William Wallace freedom. And I think, well, a little bit like that maybe, but the kind of freedom that we're talking about this Christmas season, the joyous, awe-inspiring existence of knowing that you are truly free, the kind of freedom that we should be shouting from the rooftops this December, not in our rather apologetic British way of saying, well, I suppose we are free, aren't we? Um, it's actually how we should be starting the Christmas season. Now, I was intrigued as to why Adrian had asked me to preach from the book of Galatians because I've spoken from the book of Galatians many years ago and I remember it all, being all about uh, a particular group of Christians uh, that the Apostle Paul wrote to in a letter where they got some pretty fundamental things wrong. And you think, well, what possible relevance could this have to the Christmas season? Well, John Stott, who many of you recall, was a great writer, great thinker, great preacher in the Church of England. Wrote a, a little piece about the Galatian church. And he said this. He said, oh, the folly of these Galatians. We can certainly understand the language of the prodigal son who came to his father and said, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants or slaves. But how can anyone be so foolish as to say, You've made me your son, but I would rather be your slave? It's one thing to say, I do not deserve it. It's quite enough to say, I do not desire it. I prefer slavery to sonship. Yet, that was the folly of the Galatians under the influence of their false teachers. Because the problem of the Galatian church was that having first received the gospel, and being freed by the gospel. They wanted to go back to how they were before. They wanted to go back, essentially, to being slaves by going back and saying, well, we need these Jewish customs. We need these rituals as well in order to be truly free. And the passage tonight actually shows us, in fact, it makes it crystal clear as to why Jesus Christ needed to come into the world. Because without him, we... As Gentiles, we as non-Jewish believers had no opportunity to be freed. We were in a state of permanent slavery. And the only way of escape from that was through God's intervention. So we're going to look at tonight's passage in three sections. Firstly, we're going to see how, number one, religiosity is slavery. But secondly, we're going to see how through God's redemptive actions, we can be freed from slavery. And then thirdly, following our redemption, we can now be heirs of his kingdom. So firstly, religiosity is slavery. Now, I don't know how you feel if you talk to somebody about your faith as a Christian and they say, oh, yes, I can see you're a very religious person. How do you feel when people say that to you? Well, I'll be honest with you, I didn't particularly like it. Because I get a sense that people are putting us into a certain box of people. They're saying, well, you are the religious people, and I am not one of you, those people. And I think people do it because it makes them feel separate from you, actually in a way that they don't have to engage themselves with what you believe. And actually, there's this belief as well, is that, well, you are just morally good people. You follow a certain code, and you get to your God. And I don't want to do that, so I'll make my own choices. I had an English teacher at school who actually said that religion was a crutch for the weak. Is that how you feel, somebody who gets typecast of being religious? It's interesting, we were out um, last Sunday night going out in the crowds, uh, delivering leaflets. And it was interesting the different reactions that we got to handing people a leaflet. We didn't just hand it to them without saying anything. We just said, we're from Kenilworth Community Church and we'd like to invite you to our Christmas services this year. And there were some people who were really grateful. So said, that's a really lovely idea. Where are you? I'll come and visit you. But there was one guy I remember who said... Um, oh, I'm too busy this year. I said, oh. I said, uh, what, what, what's keeping you busy this year? He said, oh, the children, they're just too, keep me too busy. Keep me too busy. And he, he didn't want to engage. And in a sense, we get that reaction from people, don't we? Is that, no, I don't want to go any further than that at all. Because what, it, what is Religiosity. What is people's perception of a religious person? Well, it's the idea that you've got to follow a series of rituals in order to become truly one with God. But actually, the danger of it is, when that becomes the thing in itself, it actually starts to exclude the very object of the faith. And this was the issue that has been talked about here by Paul with the Galatian church. Because they had the belief that belief in Jesus Christ was not enough. Rather, you needed something more. In reality, to adopt a whole load of extra Jewish customs in order to become a true believer. But of course, the problem here is that if you start to add things to the gospel, you actually take it away. You take away the power of the gospel. And Paul picks up the story in verse 3 of chapter 4, reminding the Galatians from where they came from. What I am saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. You see, what Paul is saying is that prior to the Galatians becoming believers, they were like children, incapable of inheriting. They had no different status to that of slaves. Now, my eldest son is not here today, um, but he has got a very special birthday next Saturday. He is 18. He legally, in the UK, becomes an adult next Saturday. But he is still at the moment a child. He can't legally inherit things in a full way until he is 18, because he's still a child. And what Paul is saying here is that this is a situation of all mankind. Until we get to a certain point, because of our own human sin, we're effectively enslaved. We're in a prison, and it's impossible for us to escape from it. But there'll come a point there will come a point when we achieve full adulthood. Now, for my son, he will achieve full adulthood next Saturday. When the clock strikes midnight, in fact, this Friday, he can't do anything about it. Something happens. Something changes legally at that point. And you see, for us, when we become believers... We, our status suddenly changes. But the problem is, until God intervenes, there is nothing that we can do about that at all. We can be religious, we can follow rituals, we can turn up at church, we can go to home groups, we can pray, we can sing. But it's not enough. Because until God intervenes in our lives through the Holy Spirit and we accept that promise, we are cut off. From it. So if you've come to church today thinking that the key to this this Christmas season is I just need to be more religious. Then actually you're going to be disappointed. Because actually we don't need to be more religious. We need to understand the redemptive work of God better. Because the problem of the Galatian church was described by Paul between verses 8 and 11 of chapter 4 formerly when you did not you did not know god you were slaves to those who were by nature are not gods but now that you know god or rather are known by god how is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable forces do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again you're observing special days and months and seasons and years I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. You see, the the Galatians thought that by observing special days and months and seasons and years, by going through the rituals, they would somehow be better believers, be closer to God. They thought that the key was being more religious. But Paul is scathing in his criticism of them. How is it that you're turning back to these weak and miserable forces? I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. Because why is Paul upset? It's because the Galatians have missed the very essence of the gospel. That it is not down to us. In their case, it's not down to them. It is down to God. And Paul describes this glorious truth in verses four and five. And it's really the center of our passage tonight. And it actually makes the second point that I'm going to make. Through God's redemptive actions... We can be free from slavery. So read to, with, with me verses 4 and 5. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. This, brothers and sisters, is the message of christmas because what that is this passage is saying is that jesus christ was sent into the world from god so that he was holy god but he was also holy man he was born of a woman and the fact that he was born of a woman is hugely significant because that woman herself was born under the law So she was subject to the same curse that afflicts you and I. We were subject to the law in the same way. And it's an impossible standard for us to fulfill. But because God intervened and Jesus Christ was fully God, he was able to face that punishment for each one of us and took that to the cross and by going to the cross and dying for each one of us, he was able to, and there's the magic word, redeem us. Now, what does the word redemption mean to you? We use the word redemption, redeeming, uh, in the English language a fair bit. Um, perhaps after Christmas, you might be redeeming gift vouchers. I have to say, that's one of the more dull ways. Of using the word redemption. Essentially, you swap something for goods or services. Now, more excitingly, we might talk about redeeming our mortgage. That is a more exciting thing, isn't it? Because you're freedom for, from for the bondage of debt. But actually, I think the most exciting use of the word redemption is the image here it's the redemption of slaves. Now, what happened when a slave was redeemed? And, of course, slavery is not a thing we've had for probably since around the time when my great-great-great-grandfather was treading this earth. But when slaves were released from their lifetime of slavery, when the payment was made, effectively, their slavery was redeemed. It was paid off. They were free to go. Their chains were broken at this point. And that is the image here That Paul is seeking to bring across because through God's action of sending his son we were redeemed like redeemed slaves we were previously slaves and through God's redemptive action we were no longer slaves we were free no longer in slavery to sin no longer cut off from God but free from it and there's the word let's go back adopted as sons there's another powerful word Adoption. It's funny, isn't it, that the the concept of adoption actually is a little bit tarnished in the UK, in truth. Adoption is not as common a thing as it is in other countries around the world. And yet, for some friends of mine, it was an amazing thing that they were able to do. They, They were not able to have children themselves. They tried IVF, it didn't work. And they felt a strong calling on them that they should adopt a child. So they did. And then they then adopted the brother of that child and then the sister. And they've now got three children. And they're they're their own children. They're no different in status. And what's really interesting, and I learned this when they were going through the process, is that once that gavel comes down and they're legally adopted, they have the same status in law as their natural children. Totally the same. And that is exactly what has happened here. We have the same status as Jesus Christ, the sons and daughters of God. Now let that sink in for a moment. That is what Paul is saying here. You have the same status as Jesus Christ in the sense you're a son or a daughter of God. We talk about gifts this Christmas. There is no gift greater than this. This is the gift that is on offer the invitation to become a son or daughter of Christ. Now, why did Paul see it as necessary to underline this glorious truth? Well, as we said, the Galatian church needed to be reminded they did not need anything more than this. Paul pleads with them later on in verse 17. To 20. These, those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. It's fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I am with you. My dear children, for when I am in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could now be with you again and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. You see, Paul can see that the false teachers of God amongst them, they sought to alienate these believers. And the, the teaching is obviously that the, the observance of the old customs is a good thing. As Paul said, you don't need this. All you need to, is to go back to God and recognize through the redemptive work that he's done. That is it. It's done. It's clear. Also, a few years ago, because I'm, as you probably detect, I'm quite into family history stuff and genetics and all this, that, and the other. There's something you can do, which is a sort of DNA test, um, and that works out your heritage. Um, in my case, I discovered that I'm 60% English, I'm uh, about 20% Welsh, 10% Irish, and 10% Scandinavian, fascinatingly, which is probably where I get my height from. Um, <clears throat> but there's a very interesting um, podcast on BBC Sounds that's out, it's very w- well worth listening to called The Gift. And it's all about where these DNA tests make people discover things they weren't expecting. Um, and there's an amazing statistic that like, one in seven people actually... Um, have a different father to the one that they thought they might have. Um, I'm not sure, I I haven't tested out that statistic, so please don't quote me on it, but it's actually, what people have found out is that by doing these DNA tests, they've actually discovered their parents are not who they thought they were. And there was one very moving story about um, a girl who found out that her father, who'd been her father, she was in her 40s, um, was not, not actually her real father, she went to see him and, and said, I'm really sorry, Dad, but I've just discovered you're not my natural father. And he, barely without breaking a pause, said, you are still my daughter. It doesn't matter. You know, I've raised you as my daughter. You are my daughter, and I love you as my daughter. And that it is here what is going on. Because although we may not have been born as natural sons of God... The truth is, we are adopted and we have the same status. So the warning to us here is not to fall into the same trap that the Galatians did. That somehow we feel that we've got to add things on in order to be truly sons or daughters of God. Because if we're honest, our natural inclination as human beings is probably to be religious We like to follow things, we like to follow rituals, we like to have rules to live by. And actually, they're not a bad thing in themselves. They give life structure. But if they start to define us, if we feel that in order to follow these rules, it's somehow going to justify our faith, that's where we go wrong. We've got to do this in response to what God has done first. First. And I think another thing that we need to be careful of is that when we talk about our faith, we actually need to go back, a little bit like Fiona did earlier today, go back to those first principles and talk about how we realize that God loved us. Actually, how He, God, through sending Jesus Christ, did the work. It wasn't by us following a whole load of rules and becoming a better person that made us a believer. And so often I think the world out there thinks that's what you've got to do in order to become a follower of Jesus. It's really interesting. I I was at an event on Monday evening through a charity that I'm involved with called The London Project. And the idea with that charity is trying to bring churches together across the whole of London to plant other churches and work more effectively together for the gospel. And I met a really interesting guy who founded the Street Pastors Movement in the UK. As you probably know, it's, it's become a very successful thing. Where they go out; Christians go out on a Friday and a Saturday night into the streets of the towns and cities, and they help people who are in need of help. And what Les was saying was that, he said, when you're out on the streets with people, actually showing them the love of Jesus Christ in a very tangible way, is actually really powerful because it strips away their whole perceptions about church, that you've got to go into a church and you've got to be a good person, you've got to do all this out and the other. But they actually see the raw meaning of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, actually to realize that he's loved us so much, God loved us so much that he sent his own son. And that's an incredibly powerful thing. But there's one final thing here One final amazing truth that comes out of this passage today. Following our redemption, we can now be heirs of his kingdom. Verse 6. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. A week or two ago, I met a guy who became a Christian a year ago. His name was Jason. And I asked him his story about how he had come to faith. And what was amazing about his story was that he came to faith just by reading the Bible. So during the, he told me the story that during the pandemic, he had become very, he didn't come from a Christian background at all, but he'd become very overwhelmed with what was going on and sensed that he needed to look for God. So he said he, he went around and he looked at Buddhism, he looked at Islam, he looked at Sikhism, he looked at Christianity. And with Christianity, somebody said to him, well, the best way to learn about Christianity is to read the Bible. So he started in Genesis, and he started reading through the Bible. And he said he got to Proverbs. And while he was reading through Proverbs, he said, an amazing peace came over me. He said, I felt a love that I'd never felt before. And I knew at this point that the God, Jesus Christ, was real. So at that point, he got on his knees and, and he, he, asked, he asked the Holy Spirit into his life. And yeah, he, he, became, he became a believer. And he said as he carried on reading, he said he realized the tremendous weight of sin. He said it was particularly reading the Gospels. He felt the tremendous burden and how he needed to change his life. And, then, and that was the prompt to go out and to find a church. It was an amazing story. So, such an encouraging story to hear somebody being ministered to by the Holy Spirit through reading the word. And he said, he, he said to me, he knew what it meant to be an heir. To actually be somebody who could effectively know, have the confidence of inheriting that wonderful truth. Because being a child of God brings with it rights. And this care, a share In God's inheritance. And what is that? That's nothing other than eternal life with God. See, what does our world preach? Our world preaches work hard, make the right choices, and you'll receive your reward at the end of life when you retire into some kind of freedom. But the reality is, and anyone who's achieved that age of life will say to you, the worries and burdens of life don't just suddenly cease when you reach this point. Because people actually realise that their health is probably the most important thing that they have. And actually that's the only thing probably standing between them and a decline into death. But that tragedy is a blindness to the gospel. Is actually probably at its most acute, ironically, amongst older people. Because all the statistics show that most people who become believers tend to become believers when they've got their whole life in front of them. Younger people. It's often when they become believers. And so I would say, if you're a younger person here today, and we've got one or two here, is don't, make the, just don't leave the decision until later in life to follow Jesus. Now is the time to make that decision to follow him. And if you're a bit older here today as well, here's the challenge. Are, do you truly believe in that message of being an heir. Do you believe that truth today? Do you believe that you're an heir of God's kingdom? Or are you afraid of death? Because as Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Because this glorious inheritance of God's kingdom, in addition to us being given freedom from slavery, we are also promised a glorious inheritance. Now some of you will have heard of this man, the late Tim Keller. He he had a tremendous ministry uh, in New York. And he wrote a piece in, in, in a book called Galatians for you, where he really summed up the essence of what this passage was about. And I'm going to read it to you if you just want to listen to this carefully. So to, so to understand what God sent his son to do, we need to travel to an ancient slave market to appreciate redemption and to an ancient wealthy household to grasp the concepts of sonship. Only together do they give us a complete picture of what Christ has accomplished for us, Yes, it's very easy and common to think of our salvation only in terms of the first, i.e. the slave market, and not the second. That only is the transfer from us of our sins, but not as the transfer to us of the son's rights and privileges. When we think like that, we're really only half saved by grace. We can get pardon. But now we have to live a good life to earn and maintain God's favor and rewards. And what Paul wanted to show the Galatians and us was that not only did Christ remove the curse we deserved, but he also gave us the blessing that he deserved. God's honor and reward are just as secure and guaranteed as our pardon. Unless we remember this, we'll be anxious and even despairing when we sin or fail. We think that our slate has been wiped clean, but now it's up to us to write good deeds on that slate so that God will love us and accept us. That's where we're left if we remember only half of verse 5. But the point is our slate has been wiped clean and Jesus has written his righteousness onto it. Our inheritance is not a prize to be won. It is a gift from Christ. Now, It is early for Christmas this year, but what a wonderful truth to take with us into the Christmas season. Not only have we been redeemed as as slaves, but we've got this wonderful inheritance that is promised to us. The same inheritance that Jesus Christ himself deserves and is given. And my challenge today is, do we want to continue as slaves? Or do we want to be redeemed and free to live as Jesus Christ does? Do you want to be the person that misses out on eternal life because you were too content with your lot in life? Or do you want to be somebody who humbly gets down on their knees today before God and says, I got it wrong. I trust you, God. You have done everything. Please may I come into your kingdom. And share in that glorious inheritance. Because that is a message to the world this Christmas. Let's pray. Father God, we are humbled as we come before your word today. To realize this glorious truth. That through you love the world so much. That you were willing to send your son into this world to die a painful and horrible death for each one of us. And that by rising again and showing the victory over death to that redemptive work on the cross, we too can be your sons and daughters. What a glorious thing to celebrate. What a glorious thing to tell the world. And we pray for our world. We pray for those who we know, our family, our friends, our neighbors the people in this town who don't know that truth. We just pray that they would come and they would hear and they would, they, they would grasp hold of that truth this Christmas. We pray for our services here, for the interactions we're gonna have, that you'd make us clear on what it means to be followers of you, that you loved us first and you've done everything. Amen.